Good morning. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. And before we get started today, I'm going to give you a test. This is a test of attention. We're going to cue a short video, and what I'd like you to do is to count how many times the people in white t-shirts pass the basketball. Can we start the video, please? This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? <laughs> All right, who missed the gorilla? About this half video of, is from research by Daniel. About half of people miss the gorilla, right? And this isn't a bug in the way that our attention works. It's a feature. Because we can't pay attention to everything or we'd be overwhelmed. It would drive us crazy, literally. Right? So we see what we expect to see. To a great extent, we see what we expect to see. I don't know how many times my wife, we've been married for 23 years now, she'll ask me something like, have you seen my purse or have you seen my keys? And the answer is always, no. Because I don't see anything that I'm not looking for, right? So that might be a man thing. I don't know how many people are with me. You don't see anything that you're not... Oh, yes, there's few. Motorcycles are more likely to get hit because drivers aren't expecting to see them. We teach our kids to watch out for cars, not to watch out for motorcycles. And this is a reasonable thing to do because... There are more cars than motorcycles. And so we watch out for cars, and despite motorcycles being completely visible, big enough to see, they on the roads are like invisible gorillas. We don't see them because we're not expecting to see them. Here's another thing about attention. You can learn to pay attention to something. Motorcycle safety campaigns can make you more vigilant for motorcycles for a while. But what people tend to do is they tend to see more cars, and if cars are what you need to watch out for, what you do is you settle back into just seeing cars. Now, I didn't come here today to talk about gorillas or motorcycles. I came to talk about community engagement, right? And attention has a lot to do with this. Sometimes we think things like this. Sometimes we think, oh, our culture has turned against us, or the beliefs of Canadians are no longer Christian. And there is something to that. Don't misunderstand me. There is a saying that's called uh, Hanlon's Razor for explaining human behavior. And it goes something like this. He said, Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by, no, he said, by stupidity. But I want to take this and make this a little bit different today. I want to say, Never attribute to malice that which is easily explained by a shift in attention. Let me show you a slide with some stats. What I'm graphing here is the weekly religious service attendance rate for Canadians from 1946 to 2019. 
There are 65 national polls represented here. And in 1946, 67% of Canadians told George Gallup, when he was a young man, that they were in church in the past seven days. In 2019, down at the other end, and I know this is a little bit small for you to read, only 11% of Canadians said that they attended religious services weekly, and this includes all Christians, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, everybody in Canada. Only 11%. Now there is a clear downward trend. If we we were to draw a line and fit that line all the way along here, you would see that it's it's pretty much a clear straight downward trend. In fact, in a large 2019 poll that we did in August, three in five Canadians said that they never attended a religious service in the last 12 months. And another one in five said they only attended once or a few times a year. That means that four in five, 80% of Canadians have very little idea what we're doing in here today. Let me put this another way. Four in five Canadians aren't expecting what goes on here. You're not in their attentional field. And so for many, the church is an invisible gorilla. And when it does come across their attentional field, it is often the media or the movies that are saying, this is what they're like. Or this is the kind of things that they do. And let me ask you, when CBC does a piece on the church, do you recognize Mississauga City Baptist Church in their reporting? Is that a fair representation of Jesus and His bride, the church? People do not expect to see us anymore. And so in many cases, they do not. Even though you have this beautiful building on a major thoroughfare in Mississauga, they do not expect to see you. And when they see us, they expect to see what CBC says that we are like. Jesus said in the Bible and in many other places, it says things like this, He who has ears, let him hear. And he says this because hearing is not just about the mechanics of sound, of sound waves hitting your eardrum. Hearing is about attention. It's about expectation. And it's about will to hear what is being said. And so is seeing, is all of those things as well. And what I want, what I want to see and what I want to hear. Think about, uh, about our retreats. Periodically, churches, I'm sure that you go on retreats. And we go on our retreats and we take our Bibles and we set aside time and we listen for the voice of God. And on these retreats, isn't this the times that you hear from God? Right? Aren't these the times that you learn things about Jesus that you never saw before? Now what if the reason that we hear from God on retreats and that God works in our lives on retreats is that we're paying attention to God on retreats? Could it be That God is always speaking. That God is always revealing Himself. But most of the time, we are too distracted to hear Him. Our attention is too distracted. And so Jesus often says, He who has ears, let him hear. So we talked about attention. We're going to look at a passage in Matthew in a few minutes. We've talked about attention, and now I want to talk about an idea of keystone habits. And I'm going to do this by talking about architecture. Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom during the darkest days of World War II. That's what we chiefly know him for, but he also had 
was known for colorful and insightful sayings. And this is one that he said. He said, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. We shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. If there's too little light or too few windows in a building, we easily get depressed in February. A cramped doorway makes getting in and out of a building hard. A large common area invites guests and opens up the possibilities of entertaining and making a home or a church building a social hub. When we were young, uh, my family moved from an older home that had the big 12-foot ceilings into one with an 8-foot ceiling. And for years, my mom said that she felt like the ceiling was pressing on her head. We shape our buildings and afterwards they shape us. Keystone habits... Our habits, they're the things that we do that the other things in our lives flow around. Right? I introduced the idea of keystone habits by talking about buildings because our lives have to flow around the walls in those buildings, right? They have to change direction to get through the doors. And regular church attendance is a keystone habit. Let me take another run at this. Regular church attendance can be a keystone habit. Statistics Canada does not measure a lot of things about religion in Canada. Every 10 years, though, they do ask a religious affiliation question, that is, what do you consider your religion to be, on the census. And then on some general social surveys, they will ask a question about religious service attendance. But there's only one thing that they report about religious service attendance They report on whether you attend religious services weekly or less often. Just weekly or less often. Why do they do that? Because insurance companies, people who study health, people who study giving and volunteering, all know that the people who attend religious services weekly are different. Those who go just a few times a month are more like those that go just a few times a year than they are like those who go weekly. This is backed up by all kinds of studies done by Christians and secular researchers. And the reason is, those who go weekly are shaped by that keystone decision. They decide to give God their attention in a space like this every week as they meet for worship. They are challenged by sermons. They are encouraged to live to give and to volunteer, and they've decided to let this decision to prioritize worship form and shape their lives and to make other things give and to flow around it. In the Bible, God made a, God made a covenant with Moses and the Israelites. We call this the Ten Commandments. And the sign of this covenant, every covenant comes with a sign. The sign of this covenant was the Sabbath. Because rest would be what God was going to use to form His people. Now, I'm not here to talk about the Sabbath and church attendance. And my point in bringing this up is not to be legalistic, but to make the idea of keystone habits concrete for you. Because we all have keystone habits. The only difference is is that some of us choose them and some of us have it chosen for us as the world And our society just presses us into those patterns. When Churchill said we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us, 
He was assuming that we were deliberately shaping our buildings, that we would decide where the windows go, where the dimensions of the room would be, where the plugs would go, what kind of heating we would have. Your keystone habits are those things in your life that other things need to flow around. What won't you move? If there is a conflict in your calendar, what always wins? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? Did you check your phone? If you think about it, checking that phone as a keystone habit, how that completely shapes your day. Because what you see on that phone, whether it's the news, whether it's the emails, that that changes whether you're anxious about the day. It changes where you're going to put your attention for the day. A keystone habit, a keystone building. I want to talk about the idea now of a keystone presence. We are here to talk about our community, and I want you to think about that community. You could think about that community as a, as a building, as a neighborhood, as the physical space around this church building. You could think about your community on social media. Now let me ask you this question. As you think about whatever your understanding is of your community, what would it mean to have a keystone presence in that community? Remember, keystone is the idea that keystone shapes everything around it. What is occasional is not keystone. Church barbecues and one-off outreaches are good. We should continue to do them, but they aren't keystone because when the event is done, our neighbors go back to the other keystone presences in their lives and they flow around it. And that's what shapes their lives. Permanent presence. In Ottawa, where I live, this last week they opened our first light rail. This is a permanent presence that will shape my commute. And it's not going away. It's now a fact of life. It's already shaping where I buy my coffee in the morning. Shaping when I get up. I expect that light rail to be there. I look for it. I would be surprised if I went to the corner of Queen and O'Connor to look for my subway stop and it was gone. We started talking about attention. We see largely what we expect to see, and that is not a bad thing. But we expect to see the things that have a permanent presence in our lives. And my question for you, Mississauga City Baptist Church, is what kind of permanent presence does your church have in your community's lives? Are you a keystone part of their lives so that their presence, that your presence, helps form them? Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to um, Matthew chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me now. We're going to read this and we're going to continue to talk about this idea of presence. Matthew chapter 14, I'm reading here from the English Standard Version. Now when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed Him on foot from the towns. When He went ashore, He saw a great crowd and He had compassion on them and He healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to Him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, 
They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing. He broke the loaves, gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's set this passage up. This comes right after. If you would look, in your, if you've got your Bibles open and you look in the passage right before there, this is the story. This comes right after King Herod, Herod Antipas, Herod the puppet king of the Roman occupying force. This comes after, right after that Herod cut off the head of John the Baptist. The prophet whose scripture includes chiefly for his role in preparing the way for Jesus, for announcing Jesus coming, for helping the people to make straight paths in their lives so that they could receive the Messiah, the anointed one who they expected was going to free them from the Romans. Now they're in the wilderness here. John the Baptist, you'll recall, he preached in the wilderness. Why did he do this? He did this because of the Romans. Because the Romans' puppet king Herod and the Romans themselves understood that all of these rumors of a Messiah was a challenge to their rule and authority because there can only be one king. If John the Baptist had preached near a Roman garrison, he would have been arrested immediately. Just coming to hear John, just coming to hear Jesus was a subversive act. A subversive political act. And so the people came into the wilderness to hear their Messiah, to be healed of their diseases. Here's a few things about the wilderness that's going to become apparent in the story. The wilderness, of course, means no restaurants, no amenities, no food. The wilderness is not a place that can sustain people and they have come out to be sustained by Jesus. Let's talk about who these people are. The Gospel, and the Gospels are the stories about Jesus' life. In the Gospels, there are usually three groups of people that they talk about. There are the disciples, the crowd, and the world. The disciples are Jesus' followers. And for us today, this is you, this is me, this is the church. The second group are the crowds. And the crowds are those who are curious about Jesus, but not yet committed to Jesus. And then there's the world. And the world are those people who are set against the rule of Jesus. Right? They're opposed to the reign of Jesus. So we have the crowds out in the wilderness that cannot sustain them. They were looking for spiritual food that Jesus was offering. But these are people with physical bodies People with bodies that need physical food as well. And so we're looking at this passage today and we're thinking about community engagement and we're thinking about permanent presence and we're thinking about the food that the crowd, our neighbors, the people who are curious about Jesus, and we're thinking about the kind of food that they need in our context now. Pay attention to this. The presence of Jesus and His disciples meant that they were going to be fed both spiritually and physically. The whole person needs to be cared for and fed. And if we just fed bodies or if we just fed spirits, 
we would leave an important part of the person, the whole person, unfed. The spiritual hunger has led the crowd out into the wilderness, which is a vulnerable place, and we know that our neighbors here today are going into all kinds of vulnerable places, all kinds of spiritual wildernesses because they are hungry. could be different kinds of escape. It could be dark places on social media. It could be the oblivion of drugs, alcohol, the despair of loneliness. The permanent presence of the church will always feed people, body and soul. And so Jesus is out in the wilderness and He is teaching the crowd. And as He always does, He is also teaching the disciples. He's teaching the crowd, but there's something else that He's going to do in the disciples' lives. At this point, the disciples are looking for Jesus to give the Romans and the corrupt religious leaders He's looking for them to give them a whooping. And probably the disciples are looking at the crowd and they're saying, we're going to raise a grand army and these people are military recruits. And after Jesus has taught the crowd feeding them spiritually, it comes time to feed them physically and looking around, the disciples decide to send them away to find food. Permanent presence. Presence. Presence costs. I don't know about you, but I often feel that I am living at my margin, my life without margin, running from meetings to meetings, and then home into a den of moody, unreasonable teenagers. We've got four of them. My mortgage is too big for me at this stage of my life and I'm always trying to figure out how to pay the bills. I find it hard to plug into church events, ministries because my attention is pulled in a thousand different directions. We have food in Canada. Yes, people still have difficulty accessing healthy food. But calories we usually have. The wilderness, our wilderness, very often leaves us with a different kind of poverty. A poverty of attention. We might say a poverty of time. But a poverty of attention. And this is a hard thing for the church in Canada. The disciples very reasonably recognized the needs of the crowd, that the needs of the crowd outstripped their capacity. And they told Jesus. It really wasn't a suggestion. They came and they told Jesus. This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages to find food for themselves. And Jesus' response to them was, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, feeding people is good and we can and we should do this. But the harder thing for most of us in this culture at this time is to give up our time. Time is attention. It is lavishing your attention. And permanent presence is a choice to give your attention to your community. To permanently be a keystone that will interact with their lives so that they are formed. You know, it's very interesting. Jesus didn't say to them, give them 5,000 loaves and 5,000 fishes. It could have been more. There were women and children too. He said, Give them what you have. And so what do you have as a church that can help meet the real needs of your community that you can offer to Jesus? 
as a permanent keystone kind of presence. I know, I, I don't like people messing with the buffer in my life, right? When I see my buffer getting chewed up, I start my anxiety level starts going up. Because that's me in my kingdom rationally looking at my time and saying and stressing out about how that's going to work. And Jesus comes and He says, what do you have? As little as it is, what do you have? And He says, bring it here. Bring it to me. Let me break it and make it into more than you ever could. See, God doesn't lack resources, but we lack faith. And Jesus calls us to sacrifice so that we are no longer relying on our resources to accomplish the things that we really couldn't do in our own strength and resources anyway. Mississauga City Baptist Church, you do not have the resources to transform your community. But if you bring what you have to Jesus, and I think this is what this passage is teaching, if you bring what you have to Jesus, your time, your treasure, your attention, And your attention may be the most valuable thing that you can offer the crowds. If you bring what you have, Jesus will break it and He will make it into what the crowds need. And He will also make your act of faith into the spiritual food that you need. The disciples had an inadequate understanding of who Jesus was at this point. They did not understand the cross. They did not understand Jesus' mission. And by these small acts of obedience, of faith, of sacrifice, they were getting what they needed to more fully understand Jesus and to grow in their relationship with Him. So John the Baptist's death comes right before this passage. It leads us into the story. And John the Baptist was there to help us prepare the way for Jesus. And in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist famously says this about himself and about Jesus. He says, He must increase and I must decrease. Jesus' love for the disciples meant that He called them to places where He was going to increase and they were going to decrease. I started today talking about attention and keystone presence. Attention. People, this is the currency and the bread of our culture. Our keystone presence is a decision to be consistently present in the lives of our community so that our presence and the presence of Jesus that comes with and among us can begin to shape them. It will mean that our communities expect us. Do they expect us right now? And expecting us, they will see us. And feeding them with what we have and we have brought to Jesus to break to bless and to distribute, they will begin to understand the supernatural reign of God. You see, the supernatural acts of Jesus in breaking the loaves and the the fishes did not happen until the disciples gave over to Jesus what they had. Jesus tells us they need not go away. They need not go somewhere else to some of their activities to find the kind of attention that feeds their souls He says, you give them something to eat. You know, the Gospels don't follow the lives of those in the crowd, right? The the story doesn't tell us about them. No doubt some of them became disciples. Some of them were, were just fed. 
It was Jesus' will that they be fed. And what is more, it was Jesus' will that they be fed with what the disciples had. It is so easy to be invisible. To be an invisible gorilla in your community. It's so easy to say to Jesus, Jesus, I have no margin. Send them away to get something else to eat. Send them away for somebody else to look after them. You know what? Jesus knows this. He cares about your margin. He cares about your rest. And still, He says, you give them something to eat. Bring it to Me. Bring it to Me. And remember, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Mississauga City Baptist Church, are you an invisible gorilla in your community? Or do you have a keystone presence in your community? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I, I thank You. I celebrate with this community for the 46 years that they have been here. And Lord, over these 46 years, our whole culture has changed and we're all trying to figure out how it is that we are still relevant. And Lord, we know that for many in our culture, we are invisible in spite of us being here. And Lord, I pray in the hearts of this congregation whom You love, whom You have blessed, that You would help them to discern how it is that they can be a beautiful, consistent, keystone presence so that You, working through their lives, would begin to shape lives and bring many, many more to You. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.